Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. The episode you'll be listening to today was originally produced and published by Lindsay Sanchez of the Beating Around the Book podcast. Hello, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Five. Welcome to Beating Around the Book. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself for my listeners who aren't already familiar with your work? Sure. So I'm Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and I live in the Chicago area, and I am an LDS um, teacher and coach and therapist, and I work primarily with LDS couples and individuals around how to develop more capacity in their lives for intimate relationships, both emotionally and sexually. So I do a lot to help people understand the principles and concepts that help them grow within themselves to become higher functioning or more solid people that can handle the um, kind of make room for the reality of intimate partnership. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about sex and sexual intimacy as it is portrayed in literature and media in general, but specifically literature. This concept came to me because there's quite a wide range in my peers, among my peers, in what they feel comfortable consuming. And as writers Mm -hmm. and people creating content, uh, we really want to do our best by the consumers and help them mm-hmm. have wonderful content to consume. So my first question would be, mm-hmm. is it beneficial to consume stories? Is there any information or data or from your personal experience and practice, have you found that it's beneficial to consume stories that have aspects that sexually arouse? Mm-hmm. Or have you found that there's evidence that it detracts from personal real life relationships? Well, I would say um, maybe a couple things about that. One is that research that's out there points in the direction that it makes people's relationships better, that, you know, women who struggle with orgasm, for example, or arousal, that the research tends to point in the direction that it can facilitate and be helpful uh, for creating sexual interest and desire and arousal, uh, especially within a woman. I think um, in my own practice, I don't know that I would necessarily put the causal link with the literature itself, but meaning does it cause good things or bad things? But I would say that most of my clients who uh, read stories with erotic themes have found that it's very helpful for them in terms of moving into um, ideas and thoughts and meanings that they find sexually interesting and arousing. So, you know, my, you know, some of my 
uh, couples, for example, are reading Outlander together, for example. And this has a lot of themes around a very passionate and erotic marriage relationship with a lot of kind of playing out masculine, archetypal masculine and feminine themes, like strong masculine and strong feminine. And Mm -hmm. so those, um, I think a lot of the couples like them, both the men and the women like those. And it's, it allows you to move out of the mundane of childcare and dishes and daily life and move into this kind of playground of sexuality with one's spouse. So most of the people I work with are using those, um, using that literature in ways that have a real positive benefit for them. That said, I, I wouldn't take off the table that like everything in life, that somebody couldn't be in relationship to sexual imagery, sexual literature, um, to anything that gives pleasure, food, money, (laughs) in a way that is designed more to escape, check out, uh, Mm -hmm. to kind of be separate from one's life and reality than as a way to be more deeply engaged with it. Do you think that those couples have found success because they are using it together and because they're experiencing it together? Or do you think that there's a way that people could experience it individually and still process it to connect more closely with their partner? Yes, or, okay. definitely. So I don't think the issue is, although I certainly think there's value in that idea of doing it together. Um, I wouldn't say that that's a necessary ingredient of togetherness. That's more about, you know, I need to control what my partner sees or doesn't see or something to, for us to be together. Mm-hmm. But of course, you could in the context of, just to be clear, you, I mean, you could look at something individually with the goal of developing more of a relationship to your own eroticism and your own sexual ideas and your own interests because it facilitates you moving in that direction more readily with your spouse. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what your goal is, but you could also look at something or, I mean, like uh, read something together with your spouse and still be using it to check out and to not be in the partnership. So even if your spouse is there, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're relating to it as a way of creating a kind of grown-up play to participate in together, which is what I think of as sort of meaningful, intimate sexuality as a place that you go together and play together with ideas and, and, you know, meanings that create arousal. So are there some like red flags or cues or tools that people could use to determine if they are using it in a way to deepen and enrich their relationships or if they're using it to check out and and pull away yeah one thing is what is the impact on my sense of myself and what is the impact on the partnership because it's sort of like by their fruits you shall know them like it's a way of measuring or assessing is this a good thing does it create more strength Mm -hmm. does it create more openness does it create a deeper sense of friendship or intimacy or does it take me in the other direction so am i you know for example there's there's research on video games and 
there's kids that will, well, I guess adults too, but that will orient to video games as just like a pleasurable thing they do once in a while in an otherwise enriching and meaningful life. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that will go to video games as a way to kind of find a sort of escape or oblivion mm-hmm. from an otherwise painful life. And so then it's easy to say, well, video games are bad or good. Well, they they are they are vulnerable in some ways because you can use them to escape your life. But to say it's one or the other is not really the right picture because it's more about how am I in relationship to this? And is it about a way of not being in my life? Mm-hmm. Is it a way where it maybe feels good in the escape, but then when I come back to reality, I feel a little bit worse. Mm. That's what I would be watching. Is it, is it, is it a place we go together and we can laugh and know each other's minds more and kind of know how silly sex can be in a way, I mean, you know, I mean, in a good way, but like in a way that we can, sex is a a sort of a weird part of being human, but we can have a good sense of humor and find a kind of togetherness in this. Or is it something that makes us feel more lonely or less known or self-betraying in some way, or, you know, Mm -hmm. less trust. And those are, those are feelings that are at least worth really looking at and understanding Yeah, if you're having those feelings. I've heard in one of your previous podcast episodes, you talk a lot about women and how we're not necessarily taught to desire. We're taught to be desired. Do you think mm-hmm. that that has an impact on a large portion of women shying away from from sex and intimacy in literature? Do you think that's a big part of why a lot of people are uncomfortable? Yeah, I think that another way of thinking about that, first of all, there's nothing wrong with being desired and, and enjoying being desired. I think that can be a wonderful part of female sexuality. But I think that maybe the larger issue is that I think a lot of women fear that their sexuality or their sexual ideas interfere with their goodness and their Mm. kind of ultimate value. So I think what comes up around a lot of these conversations for people is that they're really afraid of sexual thoughts and feelings because sexual thoughts and feelings are so often unruly. I mean, you can find, um, like in Outlander, there's a lot of aspects of that that are, you know, they're married. I mean, there is a kind of element of the forbidden because she's gone back in time and has a a spouse in the kind of in the present day, but she's now back in time. So there's there's some of this of like kind of escaping to another life that I think a lot of people kind of enjoy the fantasy of in a way, mm-hmm. uh, not in a bad way, even just like, you know, pl- playing with another identity with another self. So there's the, there's the kind that's sort of in the legal form of its marriage, but it's highly romantic, it's high desire, and that's, that's wonderful stories. And then there's some that are more, you know, human beings are drawn to the illicit in sexuality. And that doesn't mean, or, or we're drawn to our, to our shadow selves mm-hmm. in a lot of ways in sexuality. And a lot of us are afraid of that, that that means that we really want this shadow reality. We really want, you know, the illicit forms of sex, as opposed to it's a way of trying on aspects of self and humanity in the realm of sexuality, that with a good sense of humor and a kind of tolerance for what it is to be human, are 
they're, they're a way of being more, how to say it, they're a way of managing some of the, the shadow sides of being human in a way that don't consume us and run our lives. So I think a lot of people are so afraid of this that they just try to bury it, but it actually kind of then is less integrated. They're less in control of it. They live in more fear. Mm -hmm. And I think people that are more able to kind of with a good sense of self-acceptance and acceptance of their spouse, in some ways, tolerate the shadowy aspects of sexuality are actually more able to experience the spirituality of it. They're more able to really be at peace with themselves. Yeah. You know, that's really, I've been, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Give your thought. Well, I was just going to say, as you're talking about experiencing different identities and themes, a lot of that is the point of stories and books in general. That's right. Is Absolutely. experiencing other realities in a safe way. And it sounds exactly like right. that is exactly how it relates to sexuality and intimacy in general, too. That's right. And there's something about the human mind that wants to be in this symbolic world. And there is something educational in it. There's something about both belonging to your spouse, but belonging to other aspects of yourself at the same time. Something I've been thinking about along this line is that, you know, my my mom has a new puppy this year and we spent some time there with her. We brought our golden retriever and our golden retriever, of course, is a much bigger dog than this puppy. And they, because he's a puppy, they play all the Mm -hmm. time. And the way that they play is in this sort of pretend aggression. And so the little puppy is the alpha and my golden is the beta, (laughs) meaning it's really kind of cute. They're always pretending that they're, that they're fighting, but they of course don't really bite. They don't really Mm -hmm. hurt. They are playing with rules. And you know, Sullivan, the golden, is as invested in this as the alpha dog, okay? Uh, Because he's like, come get me, come get me. And he plays the more submissive position, but they're playing in these archetypal energies and roles. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of play. It doesn't mean that that captures who they are in the regular time. You know, uh, Sullivan would be more alpha in the regular day in and day out, okay? Mm -hmm. Another way of saying it is, that, you know, when kids play cops and robbers, it doesn't mean the seven-year-old wants to be a robber when he grows up. Yeah, He's just playing with an identity and a role. And I think sometimes we as adults are so afraid of that, that, you know, I've had some of my clients say, like, my feminist self is not proud of my fantasies (laughs) 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 because because they want to be in Sullivan's role. They want to be in in that submissive position. And not understanding more, this is a way of playing with aspects of ourself in a really wonderful way if we can make room for it and not feel so afraid of it and maybe even be a little more curious about Mm -hmm. it. I love those ideas. And I would ask, you've mentioned Outlander. Are there other forms of media or specifically books that you would recommend if people are interested in exploring this a little bit more outside of their typical comfort zone? Honestly, I'm not a really great recommender of this because I don't, I'm too busy to know what's out there. (laughs) So I wish I had like, oh yes, I know this is great literature here. This is great stuff. I know that I have clients who have liked some of these fictional writers that write period 
period literature that is more like the damsel in distress with the, I think that what's kind of called bodice rippers, you know, and it's the attractive dominant guy who's just smitten with her and will do anything for her. And these are stories that a lot of my clients have liked. And I know some of the author's names like Lisa Kleypas, that's just K-L-E-Y-P-A-S. I ha- I honestly don't have any personal experience with the author, so I can't say I know that it's just great. <laughs> but I have clients who have liked it because it's it's sort of set in these kind of period times, and it can sort of allow more for these archetypal masculine and feminine roles and the sexuality and the desire in it. So um, I know there was a I had a client who, and I don't even know if the website still exists, but it was oh, I'm trying to what it's called like Lusty Library, I think is okay. what it was. And this was like, <laughs> and again, I'm not, I'm not recommending because I genuinely don't know what's on these ones. But just for so people it could to, be really sketch. Yeah, just for people yeah. to explore but, but, if they'd like to, sure. To just know, and, and oh yeah, I have one more that I did. But like, this was a couple where, you know, she really struggled to get out of the day-to-day of raising kids and work. And so he would sometimes find stories that he knew she would like and read, read her a bedtime story. And this was just like a way of her being able to move in that yeah. direction. I know that there are Christian writers of um, erotic fiction. I can't think of their names, but I've had other clients who've pointed me to those where they're writing stories about married couples. If people want, you know, content that feels a little bit more um, safe, Mm -hmm. I guess. And there's, um, I think you can look that up even on Amazon. If you were to say, you know, erotic stories, Christian, I think it would come up with some of those authors. So, um, and, you know, I, I, I know there's people who've thought of writing their own and writing. I know couples that write them stories for each mm-hmm. other and play with some of these ideas or, or envision themselves in a different place and time and can even co-author, co-create these stories oh, together. that sounds interesting. Yeah. So. Exactly. So if. So basically. A lot of it is pretty individual. The stories and the sexual aspect is more neutral, and it's really more how you integrate with it and how you then bring it into mm-hmm. your life and mm-hmm. and how it exactly. impacts you personally. And how you're in relationship to your spouse with mm-hmm. it. Like if you're like, you know, what's your problem if you're too repressed to read a story? You know, mm-hmm. that's its own. It's not the issue of the story. It's the issue of how you're in relationship to your spouse and how you're relating to the issue of your shared sexuality. And yeah. So I'm often much more interested in those questions of how people are relating to their lives, to themselves and to each other, and how they relate to other aspects of sexuality. Um, because that's the core issue of mm-hmm. are the, is this a couple that's really caring for each other is has self-respect and respect for their spouse because that's really the big issue then then that helps to answer the other questions mm-hmm. of how you relate to this uh, issue of sexuality that does bring up a question for me what if in a situation one half of the couple is really open to more erotic literature and the other half isn't how do they balance Mm -hmm. that well these these are the questions that are always kind of hard to answer well on a podcast because 
first of all, it's very normal for couples to have different views. Mm-hmm. And the question is not whether or not there is difference, but how the couple handles the difference, because that says a lot about the couple. How people tend to handle it is by either dominating and pressuring the other person to do it their way. And either person in that could do mm-hmm. that. You're disgusting for wanting to read anything when really it's coming out of your own anxiety about your spouse's eroticism or what's the matter with you that you don't want to read anything. So there's, you can dominate from either side mm-hmm. of that and pressure your partner to agree with you. Or the other negative way is to just sort of submit to the other person's view because you don't want them to be upset with you, but not because you think it's the best view Mm -hmm. or the best thing for Mm -hmm. you or best thing for you as a couple. So the kind of maybe dissatisfying answer, if you're looking for an easy answer, but the best answer is for the couple to really kind of put on the table the merits of their respective positions Mm -hmm. and to be willing to challenge their own view against the merits of the other person's view. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't want that. We want to just be right. But if we really want to create a good marriage and a good partnership, appealing to a marriage where two people can thrive and the best in each person can be present then you're going to be willing to engage that, that that's more important than you prevailing Mm -hmm. is that you understand the merits of your spouse's view, even though you wish they had the same view and that you're willing to really think about it and hold your view up against that scrutiny, not about your spouse seeing it the way you see it, but you looking at your own view by considering honestly the merits of your spouse's view. Interesting. Right. So, so, so oftentimes your spouse is carrying information that in fact, you just don't want to deal with. Yeah. You don't want to reconcile within yourself. And so it's easier to dismiss them Mm -hmm. than what they experience, feel or understand that deserves some acknowledgement and space within the marriage. So this basic idea that you could be turned on or aroused by something other than your spouse and still bring that into your relationship in a healthy and connecting way. Is that kind of the basic mm-hmm. gist of it? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how many people can just be aroused by their, the, their spouse alone all the mm-hmm. time, which is not to say that you can't find your spouse extremely appealing and attractive. Yeah. Um, but I still think that the way that eroticism works is it's more about being connected to life and to the beauty in it and the eros energy in it. And that's more about being alive and in a sensual relationship mm-hmm. with your life. Okay. And so you're going to. That's, that sexuality may certainly get be expressed and shared, expressed towards your spouse and shared with your spouse. But it's not that your spouse is the kind of primary source of it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Our Eros energy is more about our relationship to life and uh, the life energy and our own creativity and sense of self and so on. But then in a good partnership, you you share that Eros energy with one another. 
And and you use it to bless the partnership and your life. And if you want a good life, you're not going to blow up your partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So even if you want to be true to your own good life, you're going to be thoughtful about how you're in relationship to your sexuality. And it sounds like that goes back to acknowledging and experiencing and being open to, at, at the very beginning, your own desire and your own arousal. That's right. Interesting. Because I think a lot of people want that to come through their spouse, mm-hmm. and maybe their spouse takes responsibility for that arousal, or their spouse is the source of that. But I think that's a kind of betrayal of your own aliveness and your own responsibility to yourself and your own responsibility to really living a whole rich life. That's, that's the way that you create a meaningful passion is when you're really alive and awake in your own life. Yeah, I love the idea that we have it inside of us and it's something that in a beautiful partnership we then can share with each other. It's not something that is necessarily created by the other person or even with the other person all the time, but it's something that is in us that we then choose to share. I think that's beautiful. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. We only have a few moments left, and I have loved this conversation. And I know that you have courses. So if there are listeners interested in hearing more from you. Will you tell them where to find you and where the best the best next resources from you are? Sure. Sure. Probably the best place to go is just to my website, which is my last name. So finlayson-fife.com. And on the website, there are links to my podcast archive, which is, you know, there's a whole set of different topics. You can listen to me talk about lots of different things there. Um, There's also, I have a Facebook group called Asking LDS um, Marriage and Sexuality Therapist group. And so I do live instructional videos on that every month. So some people join that to have access to to those. And then I have my courses, which are, I have five different courses on um, both one for men and women on just how to develop your own relationship to your sexuality and your integrity and how to forge a deeper relationship to your desires and your strength. Um, And then I have two couples courses about how to really create a more intimate marriage, both emotionally and sexually. And then I have a course on how to talk to your kids about sex. Wonderful. And those are all online self-paced courses. Wonderful. And I will link to your website as well as your podcast in the show notes. So that will be really easy for people to find. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on again. It has been such a pleasure and I'm really excited to share this. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.